0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Failure Piece Theater, your podcast for discussions of movies that maybe didn't hit the mark, or maybe some movies that didn't get exactly where they needed to go, but still may be worth your time. And this week we are looking at another recent Netflix release, or Netflix acquisition, I should say, and that is the first installment of the Fear Street series, Fear Street 1994, a sort of love letter to the slasher genre, specifically of the 1990s variety, i.e. the Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer variety. Joining me as always, of course, is
1: Catherine.
0: I'm your amiable co-host, Tim, and and we're going to break this one down. Um, This was a a late edition. We were actually going to look at some other movies. We had some other things planned, and uh, these started rolling out, and I I checked out 94 uh, about two weeks ago, when it first hit, and was was surprised by it. Uh, I'm not going to say I loved it, but I was certainly not expecting. I'll say something of this quality, something of this budget, um, to hit Netflix in terms of of horror. And of course, it's tied to a, a very famous name in YA literature, and that of course is R.L. Stein, uh, with of course his Fear Street series, the slightly Aged up goosebumps, right? If you went through goosebumps and you enjoyed those, but you wanted something a little bit a little bit more raucous, a little bit more tangible in terms of its horror. Had kids then upgraded doing to it. Fear Street.
1: It was intense. Teenagers getting in trouble.
0: That's right. It's all about them teens. I mean and, it and was this movie maintains that.
1: It was always uh Fear Street was always um a bit uh, much. Like, um you couldn't. You couldn't get those at the school library. You probably no. couldn't even get them most of the time at your local library, um, if you were from a very uptight small town.
0: Um, as
1: we were, yeah. So like these were these were hard to find um, mm-hmm. as books. So I didn't get to read very many of. them. I think I've only ever read two or three, um, but they were always very gory. They always had lots of sex in them. I, I mean, you know, more or less. Right. Um, I
0: mean, for for books of this type, of this era, because these really kicked in in the late 80s. That's when these started. Uh, It's
1: not uh, like a Chuck Palahniuk novel or anything.
0: (laughs) No, no, we're not going there. But it definitely was teens exploring teenage relationships and all of the both ups and downs of those relationships. Uh, Most of them featured a a sort of core relationship between the two sort of central characters, um, which this movie emulates, but puts a... A modern twist on it an updated twist which is good Um, but yeah I mean they were they were written for teens they were intended to have um, you know sort of more aggressive themes and themes that would be more appealing Uh, although I would say the the first run covers were all terrible Uh, just the worst just Mm -hmm. painted faces of two people in front of a spooky house like just very weirdly marketed. They corrected it with the later versions. You know, they've, they've given the more appropriate cover art. But you could tell they were trying to keep it a little bit sanitized. And it's, it's you know, easy to forget that the YA book market of the 1980s was the Wild West. Nobody really had a formula for YA book success yet, uh, which is why Earl Stein blew up. I mean, we're talking about an era where Hatchet mm. <laughs> and My Side of the Mountain... And you know, Judy Bloom, you know uh, Judy Bloom, who gets a name drop in in this series uh, later. Like that was that was the YA fiction of the day, and and here you have R.L. Stein, you know, as as you kind of mentioned before, and I think this is a really valid comparison. Was tempting to be the Stephen King of of YA writers, um, popular but also edgy, and and pushing towards something that maybe some readers would find uncomfortable. And also distilling and sanitizing at the the point that he was writing very established horror tropes and slasher film tropes into something that a YA reader could be titillated by and engage with, but not leave them, you know, curled in a ball in their bathroom. We don't want to traumatize people. And and I think, you know, now I think people are giving R.L. Stein a lot of credit being able to do that when he did at the time, I don't think he was really seen as that kind of, of pioneer and innovator, but he really was um, because nobody else was attempting to do this kind of thing. Um, You know, again, we're talking like we've got a lot of the outsiders being read at this point. Uh, A lot of Lurleen McDaniel. Those
1: are, those are still (laughs) being read. Those are are. are the finest of of the finest.
0: (laughs) That's right. Stay golden, Pony boy. Um, but, yeah, so so fear street is is sort of born out of a lot of a lot of influences, right? So I mean, the the term that I kept thinking of when I watched this film was pastiche. um a little bit edgier. it's it's kind of a manufactured pastiche, right? A lot of times I think I always think of a a pastiche story, you know, being being conglomerated from all these ideas through the author. And it being a kind of natural process, a sort of Quentin Tarantino-esque process, right? Where he's just absorbed all of these ideas and then he sort of naturally spits them back out in a new arrangement to tell the stories that he wants to tell. And I think Stein was doing that in a lot of ways, but this distillation of that pastiche, it now feels more, I saw one, one reviewer refer to it as algorithmic. Right mm. there there are boxes being checked and and ideas being satisfied in order to to meet a specific goal and it feels a bit transparent in this this film not in a bad way again i don't think it's a deal breaker way but it doesn't quite have the soul of well, it, it never really a New Era feels
1: like a a slasher film you know it never quite gets there because it feels manufactured um I don't know i i I liked the movie, but it left me you know I complain about this a lot, but it left me wanting to watch other movies and mm-hmm. I just feel like that's always a bad sign
0: um after watching this and i I don't know why my brain went here <clears throat> we are also doing some prep work for a, a a larger episode over just sort of like the Thomas Harris verse <clears throat> Hannibal the cannibal and whatnot. But after watching this, I felt a need to to rewatch The Silence of the Lambs, and I think that's because that's a slasher film. is absolutely a slasher mm-hmm. film. It's, it's a bit more it's a bit more thrillery than than maybe slasher in the traditional sense, you know. But it has so much going on inside of it. There's again, there's so much soul in that movie. It's almost all soul. This movie, um,
1: however. <clears throat> I don't know if this movie has a soul. I think it has spirit.
0: Yes, absolutely. This This movie was assembled by people who love both this time period and these movies that they're riffing on. They do, right? They absolutely do, and that's obvious. But that is not a replacement for having something new to say or do, right? So because none of the I, – I was – Again, I you're the Fear Street sort of aficionado, Goosebumps aficionado. Amongst the two of us, I don't. I I read some.
1: I read some Goosebumps. I I didn't have all of them. I didn't read all of them. But
0: could anyone? um, I mean, aren't there like seven (laughs) thousand?
1: At a certain point, (laughs) I I just lost touch. You know, I I bought fifty of them at a yard sale, and that was that was the majority of my collection. But you know, they were in libraries and stuff. So I've I've read his work and. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that this isn't representative of the kind of horror that was in Fear Street, because it's all it's all very, you know, over the top and cheesy. Mm-hmm. But it was certainly a little bit more entertaining in parts. It genuinely entertaining. Not a not a manufactured entertainment. I don't know. Sure. I just gotta kind of well, okay. I'm just gonna be honest. There are some very off-putting things about this movie that I would categorize as almost pandering.
0: Yes, this movie, uh, I, this movie is doing a lot of work to be
1: likable.
0: It it doesn't want you to hate any part of it. Um, and yeah, when it, when a movie is working that hard just to be like, hey, don't you love this? Isn't this cool? Sometimes that can work. But generally not on this scale, right? because this is this is a movie they spent money on, not a lot, because yeah. it's basically populated with unknowns. Like there's nobody famous in this movie, uh, except for some stranger things kids and uh, a girl from community. <laughs> like that's it. Um you know, so it's it was made inexpensively. It's it, I guess we should also mention the release strategy. Because this is not just one film, but this is part one of a three-part film trilogy. So six hours of films, A film. um, Tired already. That was originally meant to be released theatrically in June of 2020 by Warner Brothers, I think. Um, But Warner Brothers in the midst of the pandemic dropped it and just sold it to Netflix to make their money back or some of it back. Um, and, and so Netflix has now turned it into another, you know, the people were angry because they didn't drop them all at once and they couldn't just immediately binge the whole thing. Of course, because we live in a internet hellscape of terror, but the, you know, now they're releasing them once a week as they were going to be released in theaters, uh, but on Netflix. And so this is the the first installment of that. It feels like a first installment, but yet it also, It doesn't really, it doesn't take any risks. There's no risks being taken in this. Uh, The riskiest thing that it does is that it goes gory. Because there is legitimate gore in this. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of prosthetics. Um, And that, for me, is the most risky thing that they did. Because ostensibly in a film that is from subject material designed for teens, seemingly has been marketed to, you know, not just people our age, two teens, that it would be more sanitized, right? Because modern horror, the stuff that gets released theatrically and gets huge marketing push, generally doesn't have a lot of gore, right? PG-13 horror has become a very strong sweet spot for horror because you can get the kids in there. If you can get the kids in there, they'll show up and they'll go to it. Now, it showed that you could be R-rated and still get that because apparently parents don't read ratings anymore. Um, Did they ever? But... Did maybe ours didn't? I think I know they that. were
1: supposed to, but I don't think they ever did.
0: <laughs> no, there was like, ah, it's fine. Um, but like you know, they they really go for the gore. Like it is, it is a strong, um, you know, the the specific ratings term I think used was strong, bloody violence. Um, and and this movie does have. I
1: that. don't know if it was successfully used though. I mean, we'll get to that, but
0: oh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah,
1: I have feelings about gore. <laughs>
0: um is something about twisty bones i think you've mentioned before
1: i'm done i told you i'm done
0: (laughs) oh come on there's room for a good twisty bones scene in every film
1: scene one i've seen them all (laughs) i know what's gonna happen
0: yeah this one had one kill that sort of was it took me by surprise but it again it gets it, it it's blown over so quickly that it's yeah. like you don't even get time to process it. You know, it's not like when Kevin Bacon gets speared with an arrow through the bed, and you just have to stare at it for like a minute. And be like, yeah. oh, look at that guy. He's bleeding out of his neck. He's not dying quickly. Um, you know, there's nothing like that in this movie, but there's also not the sort of conjuring, not conjuring mainline series, but, you know, like the Curse of La Llorona, where it's like Ooh, bleh, and then it cuts to like person in a car, right? Like Yeah. (laughs) There's none of that. And, and that in and of itself is, is sort of bold in its own way. So, I mean, I'm pretty mixed on this. The, the critical response has been surprisingly good. Uh, Not a ton of, you know, top critics have reviewed it only about 20. Um, You know, it's, it's a summer film. It's a streaming only film on Netflix. It's, it's a horror movie. So not, not every, you know, major critic is, it at the bit to review it but the ones that did seem to enjoy it it's got about an 80 percent on the the old freshometer uh, over on rotten tomatoes which is is definitely good for a horror flick a lot of horror movies do not get there but uh but surprisingly the audience score is quite a bit lower it's at 64 percent which again is still fresh right you know we're not in splat territory at all but the audience doesn't seem to have enjoyed this as much as a lot of the critics have Um, The critics who didn't care for it said that, you know, things we've mentioned already, it's overly self-aware, like it is tremendously self-aware. And not in that sweet way that we got in in Scream where you've got a character who just knows the horror genre and knows what to look for, but in this sort of almost meta self-awareness where... The people making it are aware of what these movies are, and they're trying to emulate that. There's it's, it's a like reason. This, there's a know.
1: reason that did you see what I, you like? You see what I did there. There's a reason that that's a meme. That that's a joke. You know? Oh, see what yeah. I did there. It's because it's annoying. <laughs> like that's yeah, just I mean, irritating. It, it's not cool.
0: <laughs> it it certainly detracts from engaging with this film as an independent story as a story that you're looking at saying like oh I'm engaged with this and I want to see where it goes because you're constantly being reminded that it is it is a film number 1 and that it is it is it is irrevocably tied to things that you already know um so we're going to get to spoilers here in a sec cuz I think we're we're ready to just sort of delve into this and break it down a little bit at a time but I'm I'm fairly mixed on this at this point. I'm not ready yet to sort of give it a score or anything, but this if you like horror, you will probably like this at the very least. I don't know if you will love it, but you will like it. There's enough in this, and it's slickly produced enough that I think most horror fans will be satisfied at the end of it to say, hmm, okay, interesting. You know, pretty good. Um, but there's enough going on here that I, I am hesitant to say that it's a universal, you know, go for it. I think you have to be a particular kind of individual to enjoy this, not to watch it. I think anybody could watch it and be okay, but to really get into this, I, I think it's really pushing to a very select group of people. Um. So I don't, I don't know. Do you have any sort of final thoughts before we get into spoiler territory?
1: Um, I, I agree that not everybody is going to like this. Um, I I genuinely, I don't even have a score yet in mind that I want to give this, which...
0: Mm-hmm. It's a complicated one.
1: Yeah, and I don't know why, because it seems to be just a very open and shut case. Like, why can't I just say, eh, it's, it's just a <laughs> shitty movie? But I'm just not ready to say that yet.
0: I think it, it engenders a lot of, it engenders a lot of like, just, because of what it is and what it's tied to. Right? Like, I think being tied to something like Arl Stein and, and again, just being sort of like big budget, fun slasher horror, which we just don't really get anymore. We get lots of subversions of slasher horror now. Um, People playing in the slasher horror genre, but not really. I, I guess the most recent Halloween would be the most sort of like pure slasher film, but even that one is, self-aware and meta and has characters who are looking at it and saying like, haha I understand what's going on here. And, and it's, you know, it's, we don't really just get somebody trying. And, and I'm sure there are examples out there that people can point to and say like, no, 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 these, these people are doing original horror. But I mean, have we had an iconic slasher villain in horror? Sense scream?
1: People some people would say Jigsaw. And those people are wrong.
0: Uh yeah, I can't I can't put Jigsaw in there because Jigsaw's a mastermind. He's not a slasher. There are people who work for Jigsaw who would be slashers, but Jigsaw himself is not like a dude with a knife chasing you down a dark alleyway.
1: But I feel like that's the character that kind of changed and and pushed things in a different direction. We were making a lot of slasher movies before Saw, and this isn't yeah, I mean, mean. Scream had
0: caused a revival. I mean, I guess Hatchet. No, not Hatch. Is it Hatchet? There's like the dude in the, uh, um, like the dude in the Bayou, Bayou, or whatever. Oh, I don't
1: know. There's like yeah,
0: there's like some dude in, in so like there's like Jeepers and and
1: stuff like
0: that. Sure, and yeah. they made
1: eight million of those.
0: Um, ha- <laughs> that's uh, so ha- stupid. Um was a happy death day had like the baby face mask guy, <laughs> but that even like is never explained. Like, why is he wearing a baby mask? Like it just, it's just, it's well, we scary. need something to look scary. So what can we do? So, and again, I'm sure there are, you know, there are examples out there in, in like the truly indie horror, um, you know, space, which which I don't engage with a ton, I'll be honest. And you know like,
1: what? I'm, We're here to complain. I don't have We're a show. We're not here to talk about yet. those movies.
0: <laughs> um Yeah, I mean so th- I know they're out there, but uh, like none has like permeated the social co- like who what slasher villain can you go to Party City at Halloween and buy a costume of since the Scream Guy? Really? Mm. You know like you can get Michael Myers, you can get Fr- you know Freddy, you can get Jason, you can get the Scream Kid, you know or Ghostface, whatever, you know, and maybe a few others. But like, that's what I, in some way, that's what I wanted from this movie. It's like, okay, you've got this great baseline of characters. Now give me something new that I can latch onto. But most of the villains of this story, the slashers, are obvious riffs on other slashers and they may be cool in their own right. That's fine. I mean, Oh, the, the ax wielding murderer in this has a bag on his head instead of a hockey mask. Ta-da. It's like, all right, great. You know, a a burlap sack certainly is scary, but, but it doesn't feel like it elevates or goes to its own place. It's just playing in an existing sandbox and we're going to remix the characters in ways that are very safe very recognizable but not enough to sort of push in one direction or another and that for me was the biggest letdown um because we've got the skull face kid in a skull costume which is an obvious ghost face reference we've got uh tommy who's the the camp killer you know the the jason we've we've got two riffs on michael myers <laughs> there's an actual like michael myers with a weird halloween mask and then there's like the kid version of michael myers who, you know, murders people in their sleep. So we've got two riffs on that character. And then we've got, I guess, uh, is it Ruby, Ruby Lane? She's a little bit more unique because she's, uh, uh, um, uh, like she used a razor knife to slash people, you know? Like, and so uh, there's a little bit, but it, it just never feels like it's, it puts its own stamp on it. It's It's content to just sort of, remix stuff you know and that for me i think was a little disappointing um but again my my tastes will will probably vary all right so let's uh let's get into spoilers let's start talking about the the basic structure of the film some sequences um i i, I don't know about you but i feel uh that this film opens very strongly yes surprisingly strongly like to the point maybe that's why I was excited is it starts really good. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I like this. This is good. And then it just kind of, you know, goes kind of flat after that. Um, But so if you are interested in watching this, uh, check it out on Netflix, Uh, you know, come back, listen to this when you're finished. It's out there. The second one is also out there. So you can go for uh, for that. We'll probably discuss that next time. And uh, the continuing saga of fear street and how it all assembles. But uh, for now, we're just going to break down Fear Street, 1994. Um, so this film opens just like Scream. Almost exactly like Scream, except refreshing. it's in a mall instead of at a house. It was fun. It's, it's fun. Uh, Maya Hawke is in it, and boy, I like her. Man, she's good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably because her parents are Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke. And they're both very good. And she is also good. Um, I still love watching videos on YouTube of people asking Ethan Hawke about his daughter being like, man, she looks a lot like you and Uma Thurman. And Ethan Hawke just keeps saying, yeah, kids look like their parents. Why is this weird? (laughs) What is your problem? Why do you keep asking me this? (laughs) It's uh, it's strange that children would wind up looking like their parents, isn't it? (laughs) It's just so funny. (laughs) But uh He's it's just he seems genuinely put out by it now. He's like, stop asking me why does my daughter look like me? Of course she looks like me. She's my daughter.
1: That's well, just a dumb thing to say.
0: It's a stupid thing to say. And interviewers keep asking him. Um, but anyway, so uh, Maya Hawke, of course, had a splash several years ago with the the third season think, third season of Stranger Things. Um, she had done some stuff before that. Of course, she was also in uh, had a very small but very funny role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, and so she here is a B Dalton bookseller, uh, working in a a 1990s mall dressed in a short dress over a shirt with, you know, wedge boots on. I mean, it's, it's very reality bites. Like it's just right out of that. Um, but she gets, uh, she's closing up. She deals with a Karen and, uh, shuts the store down talks to one of the friends who works, he works at Spencer's, doesn't he? Isn't that the store he's at? Yes. I'm pretty sure that he's a, a Spencer's kid. And, you know, so her shift ends, the Shady Side Mall comes to a, a close and she's closing down and she hangs out with her friend Ryan for a little bit and and then begins being stalked by a mysterious killer. And, you know, as someone who grew up and and was a teenager in this era, it is it is accurate, spookily so, uh, to to what malls were like in that time period. I, I spent many an hour in a Walden Books, uh, not a, a B Dalton, but they were basically the same store. And so it was it was very nice, but this you know very quickly turns into a a old school you know slasher hunt. And Maya Hawke is, is really great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, lots of neon lighting, so lots nice. of black light. Um, It just, it it's strong. It's really strong. Like as far as a visualized sequence, this is, this is probably one of the most complete sequences in the film. It it's very tightly edited. It's really nicely staged and shot. There are some good legitimate jump scares in it that are, are not just sort of the dumb manufactured kind, um, and and a, a legitimately creepy killer as well. Um, the the skull faced kid in in his costume is is very evocative of Ghostface as we mentioned well, before.
1: This was but, but
0: it it's still got its own little its own little you know run. It's interesting.
1: This was one moment where the the referential stuff worked, and I kind of wish that the way that. The way the movie did this opening was the way it did the rest of the things. Um, Because I was way too young when I saw Scream. I saw it right when it came out. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what year that was because I was too small to make note of things like the date and time (laughs) because time didn't mean anything to me yet. If that gives you any clue.
0: Yeah, the, um, the OG scream was 96.
1: ninety six. Oh god, 96. yeah. So I was, um, I was like ten mm, or eleven. were <laughs> ten, yeah. So I saw it, and that opening, the stabbing of Drew Barrymore, like the part where she is actually stabbed, was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I, I was scared of being alone in a house and and something like that happening just the fact that you couldn't go get help and she was so close to get sorry for people who haven't seen scream but what's wrong yes. with you um but you <laughs> know she was so close long to long. getting help she was right there and then uh she's right. and it's so horrific the stabbing itself is really really well done and very very scary um so when the movie hits that so hard in this opening scene you know I'm immediately transported back to apparently being like 11 years old and watching scream for the first time and right. being absolutely destroyed. Like, Oh my God, it could happen to anyone.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, and that was the horror of scream and and the way that it established it was the fact that, you know, Drew Barrymore in 1996 was not the, the superstar that she became. Um, she was well, certainly, she was, a household she name. was
1: like, she was, you know, recovered child star and all that stuff.
0: Yes. And and so she was on the upswing. She had started, you know, her career revival and Scream definitely contributed to that. But one of the things that made the opening of Scream so effective was that no one expected Drew Barrymore to die yeah. in that opening scene.
1: We all thought that she was the main character.
0: Yeah. You, you assume. I mean, she was on the poster right? Mm -hmm. Like she's in the movie for less than 10 minutes and she's on the poster. But that was one of the great tricks of that film was that it got people in there and said, Oh, 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 wait. If Drew Barrymore can die, any of these kids can die. Like it is open season on all of them.
1: And And it it changed the tenor
0: of the film. And so this movie is, is doing that as well because Maya Hawk, given the rest of the cast, is probably one of the larger stars, uh, in this movie. And so you see her, you're like, Oh, great, Maya Hawkes in this, and then she dies, right? She too is killed by the the skull-faced killer. And, you know, there's a nice reveal of who the killer is, that it's the kid she was talking to on the phone, and all of a sudden he's he does and he doesn't just kill her, he kills a bunch of people who were closing them all down. And and then is you know, summarily killed by um the uh the cop you know the Malta. his his name is Nick Good, oh oh, and so you know it's it's a strong opening. I don't really have many issues with it, and honestly, if the rest of the film had been able to maintain this this tenor and this tone and this this level of tension, it it would be a modern classic, but the other issue is that the reason why this opening is so strong is because they had a very clear template from which to work. Yes. Right. Like they just did that again and they did it well and, and they put their own you know little stamp on it, but it's an almost brazen copy of screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and the, in that way, I don't want to diminish the, we have seen many many people attempt to recreate the magic that was scream even the people who made scream tried to do it again and again and again and never quite got there so i don't want to make it seem like this film you know is inherently worse because it's trying to ape you know at this point a classic film but at the same time i have a hard time saying something is good when it is quite legitimately just doing a thing again. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and. It's more like
1: recognizing that something was good rather than doing anything unique with it.
0: Sure. It's like, well, how can I take the first 15 pages of Kevin Williamson's script, hit control C and control Mm V, paste it into my script, and change it enough that nobody is going to get mad at me. But not so much that people won't immediately know that I'm just making screen, <laughs> so yeah. I mean that's that's a hard balance to 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 strike for anybody. but again, I almost would have rather this film stayed there because at least then it would be building off such a strong foundation that it itself would be made stronger. Yeah. And you know, we don't really really get that here. And that's okay. Like I said, I, I don't want to diminish it, but the, the kill itself is good. There's again, as I said, this is a very gory film. Uh, Maya Hawk is stabbed. We don't, I mean, this, this isn't the stabbing from Zodiac, right? Like, which is truly yeah. terrifying, uh, because it has no sound and it's just that horrific sound of a knife and, entering into human flesh, and it happened, which is probably like you know? a dude stabbing a cantaloupe or something, but well, and, still, and, I don't know. And it worked like, fine it, for me.
1: It happened, you know, that's always going to change. Uh, tone of something like that because it's it's based on a thing that happened sure um this is this is still you know very firmly movie
0: magic (laughs) it's the movie magic (laughs) and and yes but we do get some you know visceral blood we do get some some you know actual stabbing going on with probably a cg knife at this point but but so it, it felt violent and and earned in a way that feels sort of modern and up to date, but not, but not truly terrifying. I will go ahead and say right now, I don't think there's anything in this film that's truly terrifying. I was never terrified. No. Um, I was never truly scared or even grossed out. Right. I was never yeah. even grossed out. Um, You know, well, whereas
1: I was a little grossed out one part. <laughs>
0: oh, I know which part. Yeah. That again, that's like the kill in this. That would be the signature kill in in most other movies and it doesn't really get it just doesn't get any screen time. Like they do it and then it's over and nobody talks about it again. And and that was a little strange. But so the director here, Lee Janiak, is had really only made one film before she got this gig to make all three of these. And that was a film called Honeymoon. Came out in like 2017? No earlier than that, maybe 2015. Um but it starred Rose Leslie, you know, nothing, John Snow, et cetera. Um, who I hate in that show, by the way. And, uh, she, she made this with, uh, her and Harry Treadaway, uh, who was in city of Ember and he was in the first season of star Trek Picard. I, you would know his face if you saw it, but it's, it's a, a really small, mostly indie produced, um, I'd call it more of a thriller than a horror film uh, about a couple going on a honeymoon and and Rose Leslie's character sort of goes wrong. Something bad happens and and it's it was good. I mean, I, I didn't love it, but it was it was very capably made, strongly produced, well directed. And so after that she she got this this gig because apparently this Fear Street deal has been in place for a long time. They've been trying to make I don't know if it was always meant to be a trilogy or if it was just supposed to like kick something off, but it just kind of sort of died on the vine. They actually produced them, then the pandemic happened and and you know, here they are being dumped onto Netflix, you know, without a ton of fanfare. Outside of Netflix at least. And so uh Janiac, I think is she's uh, almost exactly my age she's just slightly younger than me um so we have the same sort of filmic references in our libraries or at least i would assume fairly similar um you know so she likely saw scream at the same time i did because i saw it when i was 16 and it was the coolest shit that i'd ever seen i was like this movie is so boss um it was (laughs) it was just incredible like i'd never seen a horror movie like it before that was so willing to push as far as it did and then upend everything at the end in fascinating ways. And it was just, it was so good. Uh, And it was such a a pivotal point in my appreciation for what horror as a genre was that, you know, I, I really wasn't the same kind of horror film watcher after that. You know, I was much more interested in the mechanics of how the, the story worked. And and that's another beef I have with this movie is I think the rules are bad um and and kind of kind of dumb as far as like how this stuff mm. works. But so you know this movie is playing in nineties slasher territories, right? So nineties slashers very specifically were the people you knew, right? That was the the tenor of the slasher film of the 1990s is that it wasn't this impenetrable monster like Michael Myers or a guy who assaulted your dreams like Freddie. it was the pre- it was the people around you that you thought you knew but were wrong right that was what the slasher idea morphed into mostly because of scream but even sort of before that the 90s was a time of intense paranoia
1: mm-hmm. right stuff like, like the faculty was getting made
0: Sure, yeah, I mean, like every the world that you know is a lie, it's a facade, and the people and that you know can't be trusted.
1: you know horror yeah. kind of goes in in rounds like that where you know we have this sort of invader paranoia um mm-hmm. and i the I feel 50s, like
0: very famously, you yeah, know, you 90s. know i I
1: feel like the nineties slasher movies sort of played up some of that invader style paranoia, like there's one among you who's not like the others mm-hmm. um. <clears throat> which is sort of interesting. You know, I'm sure there are all kinds of cultural causes, but this isn't that kind of podcast. <laughs>
0: yeah, you don't have <laughs> to go deep into those.
1: I don't have that but kind it, of time.
0: <laughs> but it it was very much about uncovering the other, right? And horror has always been fascinated by the other. The other is always the thing is always the thing to be feared, right? So we'll we'll put the other and it'll be on a path to to intersect with the normal. And, and so this movie's trying to do that, but it doesn't, because it also wants to check the box of being a modern film for modern kids, kids with a Z <laughs> on it, you know, for the kids. Um, it can't really play with those themes satisfactorily. So the, in my opinion. In, in my humble internet man opinion, I don't think it does a very good job of balance.
1: Humble that. internet man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a meme if I've ever heard one. Humble right. internet man. A humble man.
0: internet man, have humble opinions internet about things. Man. And so we, after the, the screen opening, we get a terrible credit sequence, and all of the credit sequences in this are bad because they're exposition dumps, and that's another major issue I have with this movie is that it handles exposition so badly. So badly. Um, It's, it's just not good. So we get a, a rundown via, you know, news reports and newspaper headlines and, you know, voiceover about the witch and killers and shady side. And so the, I I guess we can say, and and I, I'll admit to knowing none of this watching 1994, I knew nothing about fear street other than it was an RL Stein joint, like nothing. But I've gone to the Wikipedia page now, <laughs> so I am an expert. So you know everything. <laughs> That's right. My knowledge is complete. And, and so this film is, is part of a three-part series, as we said. And the three-part series deals more with the backstory of Fear Street, basically the one that Arlstein Stein put together to, to establish why this town is so weird, like why all these terrible things happen. And so we have this overarching story about Shady Side and Sunnyvale, these twin towns that sit right next to each other. Shady Sides, where all the shitty kids live; Sunnyvale's, where all the preppy kids live, and they all hate each it's, other.
1: Uh, it's like Pawnee and Eagleton.
0: <laughs> it, it really is, right? It's just this classic. It's, it's sort it's of. It really
1: is that transparent, too. It it's is not. It's not any more complicated than that.
0: It's just the classic rivalry thing that tons of YA fiction depends upon, right? Oh, it's the Hawks versus the Eagles, right? It's, you know, it's, it's the stuff. It's very
1: Archie comics, you know?
0: Yeah. It's just very straightforward, but you need this kind of tension to have characters that just hate each other by default and you don't have to explain it. Um, And so like really the overarching narrative of these three films is about that backstory because the backstory is that there was a witch named Sarah Fear, whose name used to be spelled fear, but got changed. So fear street is actually named after this witch. Um, And, and and this, this big story is about who this witch is and the power that she exerts over the town and how that has created all of these horrific circumstances over the last 500 years or, or whatever, because of course it's like a Salem witch trials thing. And that's one of my other beefs is that Stein is writing a very basic backstory That's gonna be very understandable for a bunch of teens. At this point, that like that whole idea of the witch who was hanged and she cast a curse on the town. Like, I'm sorry, we have seen that so Mm -hmm. many times in fiction. It's 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 a joke. It's so blasé as to be a joke. And this film really wants you to engage with that, especially by the end. And the second one, which again I've watched already. Needs you to buy into that even more, Mm. and for me, that's
1: gonna be a no for me, dog. It's a
0: no. (laughs) It's it's just like no. This this I I have a feeling there's gonna be a little bit of a twist. I don't think you could write this story without trying to do something interesting with that because the whole idea of like the Puritan guy who did the bad thing and tried to it's it's just no. In in terms of horror, it's been Mm -hmm. done over and over and I mean it's it's the Indian burial ground at this point like that's that's the equivalent of this backstory it's like oh an old ancient Indian burial ground and if you bury your cat in there it'll come back to life and murder your family like it's 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 that and and it ain't that great so this film fortunately each each movie is telling its own story without that but that is the big overarching narrative is who was this witch and what happened to her and and you know why Why has this curse been cast on the town like that's really a huge part of the story and and it's not awesome at least not for me like I was not at all engaged with that part of the story and every time they slowed the film down to a crawl to explain something about it I, I fell asleep I was like no I it's nope. and it was
1: a little it was a little cringy in parts with the, the witch story mm-hmm. mostly because it I mean, it was entirely built out of tropes, which, I mean, it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. No. Um, But at the same time, the movie just did nothing with it. So that every time it was on the, s- the screen, I was like, wow, this is just lazy. It's just really, really lazy. <laughs> like, it's embarrassingly yeah, it, lazy.
0: <laughs> it It comes off that way because, again, we've just seen this so many times. Um, you know, you talk about that, like, you know, horror breaks down into very clear tiers, right? All horror exists in the B tier of, of film, everything, but inside that B tier, you've got a tier horror, right? You've got Halloween, you've got two or three of the nightmare on Elm street movies. You've got maybe two of the Jason movies, right? That are like a tier horror. This stuff is top notch, top shelf unimpeachable, glorious. Then you've got a huge B tier within the B tier where most other horror lives. And then you've got the C, D, and F tier stuff. The F tier stuff are like the copies of copies of copies. Um, there's this great YouTube channel called, uh, well, I'm not going say great channel, but he's got some good stuff in there called uh, Cordery FX, I think. And he has done these huge... Breakdowns of like the ripoff Conjuring universe movies. So the movies that once the Conjuring got big, all these people started making like with their DV cameras in their backyards, like Conjuring mm-hmm. ripoff movies and Annabelle ripoff movies, where it's like the and they're just called like the Creepy Doll, right? Like that's it. Like that's like the F tier. Most slasher stuff falls for me anyway into the C tier, right? Where it's not great. It's not memorable. There's not a ton going on, but there's maybe like one moment of glory and like that witch story is C and D tier stuff in horror these days. Like that's the kind of thing that I just need like the barest skeleton of a backbone to put my movie together. So I was a witch and she cursed some shit and I'll just have a scene where her face pops out of the darkness and I use a, adobe premiere filter to make her eyes yellow and bah you know like that's that's what that that is what
1: witches do they curse people
0: and it's 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 unfortunate that this story and again that's coming directly from fear street so i can't put the blame totally on the film producers they're just trying to work within this structure but there's nothing that says it had to be this and and had to be so beholden to it but
1: and you can do a lot with a framework like
0: that, mm-hmm.
1: um, see The Conjuring. <laughs> we were talking about The Conjuring yeah. before we started recording, and that's a stupid witch story. I mean, if you get down to brass tacks,
0: it's a stupid oh, witch totally. story. Yeah, there was a witch that died here.
1: There was a witch she that died here. On that tree. There is a curse. Yeah. Break the witch's curse. There you go. Um, and that's Help and me, that's Elaine it. Warren. Now, why does that movie work so well, and this one doesn't? and and I, I i feel like it has something to do with with taking the the marketing appeal and sort of gimmick of this film a little too far and that was the nostalgia
0: yeah maybe it's the nostalgia trip plus that that's doing it because the one thing the conjuring had that this movie doesn't is a strong emotional backbone with the characters, Mm -hmm. right? Like you cared about what happened to those people and these characters do not fit that bill. I I mean, the movie is working to try and establish them in very basic ways. A couple of them have some funny catchphrases, you know, a couple of them have some quirks that make them unique. I Um, hated
1: everyone in this movie. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if this is my problem or if movies are just terrible, but I just, I didn't feel anything for any of these people except her brother.
0: Yeah. I think Josh is the one. Um, (laughs) Now for the rest of this, I'm not going to refer to him by his name in the film. Um, His real name is Benjamin Flores uh, Jr. I think. Um, But I will only refer to him for the remainder of this, all of these movies. If we talk about all of them, as his rapper name which is Lil' Peanut awesome. so yes Lil' Peanut is by far yeah. the most the most compelling character in this film just because yeah. he's likable and this is one of the issues that I have with modern horror takes is that they want the kids to feel real right because they feel because somebody in a, in a script writing phase said well if they feel real people will connect with them because they'll be like hey I see myself mm. in them but the thing no. they forget that in making them real, you also need to make them likable. Like I have if to you like make them, them
1: too real. Then I'm probably not going to root for them at all <laughs>
0: because real people are assholes. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. And so we need them to be real enough that we say, I get you and I understand you. But at the same time, I, I need to like you. I want to see you and survive. And nobody in this movie Really had that spot except for Josh. really really
1: have to call out uh, Stranger Things because they, I mean, I think up until seasons one and two, for me, Mm -hmm. crafted like the most likable mix of little kids where they were all just likable. They didn't do anything wrong. Whenever they did do something annoying, it was always countered with them doing something funny. I don't know. They, they found those magical actors. All of those kids are adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly made it wonderful to watch. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, they basically just transported Stranger it just Things just lifted to it the entire cast.
1: But, uh, but that was the magic that this movie was missing. Was right. Stranger Things. Appeal. And maybe
0: it's because they're high school aged instead of middle school. Maybe that, you know, because most high schoolers are just total dickheads. Um, to each other and to everyone else. So, I mean, I, I kind of get that. But so, I mean, let's let's run down our characters real quick. So at the core of it, we have the brother, sister, Dina and Josh, who seemingly have no parents. Uh, that, again, that's the thing about this movie that is is so 90s is that there are just no adults anywhere. And the ones that are there are either there because they're part of some institution that requires them to be present, like the police, or or they're just not or, or like the school, like there's some teachers, but like there are no adults, no parents, no, no authority figures. And and that was a very 90s thing. Right. I know what you did last summer and scream, you know, all of them. They they all kind of have that that basic, you know, common component is that if there are adults in it, they're idiots and they can't be trusted. So ignore them. But we have Dina and Josh Lashkey kids who, you know, are from shady side or or shitty side as has been painted onto their, their town sign <laughs> uh, 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 cuz it's <laughs> a place to live. Uh, uh, uh. um but so they um you know they're Josh hangs out in chat rooms He's like it's supposed to be like AOL chat but they have Calibri listed as the font which
1: yeah in, in a movie I that's know. trying
0: it's, it's trying desperately to be period accurate are you telling me that well, no font person was able to be like, shit, bro, Calibri didn't exist the, in 1994? God
1: damn it. I don't know. I just, for it to be 1994, I just feel like that's a lot of, it's very anachronistic. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. I mean, it just 90- didn't feel right. That's too early. That's too I'm, early.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that AOL chat rooms didn't exist in 94, because I'm I'm sure they did in some form. But I don't think a teenage kid with a like a a three eighty six SX yeah well I mean they they
1: made the crack it. about it being expensive but it's like no I it's this isn't like cute expensive that would be real expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. would be uh that would be you know car payment expensive like you just <laughs> I don't I don't think so I just that felt off to me I don't know
0: it it again it it felt like we want to have this in here so that the kids get it right. And they, they can connect with this communication method, but they were willing to, but they were willing to stretch the, the plausibility of it being a, a legitimate thing um, just to have that in there and to have Josh be yeah. like the weird internet kid. Whereas Which I would I don't have much, like I would have much rather seen him in like a multi-user dungeon, like mud. You know, playing Zork or something—more
1: period accurate. You know that
0: would have been a little bit more appropriate. You know, because the only people that we knew, or the only person that we really knew at that time who was super into computers was our uncle, and he had, and you know, he he was like a sales guy for Symantec, so he you know was doing fine, and he had like badass computer stuff that cost like six grand, and but I mean, like we're he even he wasn't into that kind of stuff at that point, so. I don't know. It, it it did in a movie that's trying really hard to be period accurate. That felt weird, um, and and sort of out of place. If he'd been doing it at like school, maybe because I I could mm-hmm. see a school forking out for stuff like that because I, I didn't know any better. It just um, doesn't, doesn't feel right. But even I don't still, like it. <laughs> it's it's just it's it's a minor point, but in a film that again is trying so hard. I mean, like the the walkthrough of Dina and Josh's house in the opening is just like hey man 90s right there's outburst on a table she's got the yellow sony walkman that like everybody had i I mean it's it's just one of those like okay like Like, i get it i i understand what you're doing but you don't have to try this hard they can just be they could just be crap laying in the corner it doesn't have to be 90s crap
1: but again this feels the thing it's it's
0: crap yeah it's crap
1: (laughs) Like it's just crap, people.
0: But stranger just things. Because set it was this made mold. in
1: the nineties, it's it doesn't make it great. Um, because no,
0: yes. I mean that's the thing. Like eighties stuff, most of it actually was kind of original and a little bit cool. Right? Like the Walkman that um Star Lord uses in Guardians of the Galaxy, that's a badass Walkman. Like that thing is special. Like, but the I stuff feel in the nineties like was all just recycled crap.
1: <laughs> I feel like movies of the late of the last like five years, I feel like it's weaponized nostalgia. I feel like when I go to the movies, I'm going to have the era I grew up in used to manipulate my emotions and I don't like it. (laughs) Stop it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this movie is certainly in that, that mold um, intentionally. So, so we, we have to go to school and we see the aftermath of the murders. um, You know, the, the, Post-it notes and pictures pasted on the lockers of the kids who died.
1: So many needle drops. And, so many needle drops. And Good the needle god. drops
0: begin. Um, oh
1: my god! And it just never stops for the rest we, of the film.
0: We started with "Closer," nine-inch nails over the, which the was sp- weird. Which <laughs> I it's closer, so it's it's a great song. I love it, but I don't know if I wanted it as a girl was closing down. B. Dalton.
1: Ah, uh, no. <laughs> It didn't make any sense,
0: but it's like this the, was
1: just a cool song.
0: Yeah, it's just a cool song. So we get a bunch more needle drops throughout the school sequence. They come fast and furious. I mean, we're we're talking like Suicide Squad level needle drops, just incessant, yeah. constant, over it's and over,
1: overwhelming.
0: To where, if this film had a score, and I'm pretty sure it did, I I don't remember it because it is completely overwhelmed by incessant needle drops of mostly period accurate songs, but again, they fuzz a little bit on that as well. Um, so I, I don't know it. the needle drops are not bad. I mean, if you like nineties music, there will be plenty of nineties music for you to recognize. There's, there's literally nothing that was not, well, that is not now considered a nineties staple. Right. Um, You know, I would have, it would have been cool if there'd been like a sort of B side pixies cut, maybe or
1: the one they used was an interesting choice. Um, Yeah. I don't know. know. I don't know why they used that song.
0: Maybe something from the breeders. I mean, like, you know, there, there are needle drops that could have been like obscure, cool nineties, awesome alternative references, but they're pretty much just the, just the standards, right? Like the stuff that you know. Um, And, and that's fine. Like I said, it's good music, but it, it doesn't really add much. Right, like yeah. none of the needle drops in this film really felt like they contributed to the scenes that they were in. I mean, at least and none I, that I remember.
1: I really don't like it when that happens because I feel like music should be used delicately. Um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna shell out the money for a song, use it, yes, but also make sure that it. Fits like why? Why bother getting the rights to to use all of this music if you were just gonna? I don't know. Just felt kind of wasted.
0: It, it again, somebody is ticking a box, right? Must have nostalgic soundtrack, right? Like, and and I'll I'll go ahead and spoil the seventy eight one. It's worse. Ugh. It's worse because <laughs> it's the same. It's the same technique. It's just needle drop after needle drop but now it's like all the shitty 70s stuff you know leonard right. skinner i mean sweet home alabama like it's just all of that and again some people i think will find it appealing some people will be like yeah man that's a good song that's <laughs> high quality music being played Are you on doing your soundtrack. impression of
1: those people <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that's what they sound like and <laughs> and but for me it just was like okay like I get it, man. Just again, do your own shit, do your own stuff, like make your own thing. Don't just have all these other things when
1: it feels that like you movie, are using
0: against me to get my attention.
1: It feels like the movie grinds to a halt whenever it does this too, you know, yeah. not only did it use all of these these songs in this high school hallway scene and in every other scene, it didn't stop it just it went on for so long and the movie wouldn't do anything else. It would just show you scenes with music <laughs> <laughs> and oh look, it's a song you love.
0: <laughs> and it would be different if any of the characters were like clearly established as being big music aficionados. But apart from Dina having a couple of posters, When they mention the
1: pixies and they have like that little moment, but it's not, that's not fulfilled on.
0: Yeah. It's just talked about. Right. And you know, she has like, there's of course a scene where a character delivers a mixtape to a character that they care about because it's the nineties. But even if like they had worked that in, you know, again, I'll I'll reference guardians of the galaxy, like all of the songs that we're hearing in the soundtrack are the songs on this like tape that she's handpicked for this person that would have been better than just, you know, but, but is she going to pick Nine Inch Nails closer as a song to give to the person you love? <laughs> no, uh, you wouldn't. Uh, and so or I, it's would you? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on whether or not you, you want to like an animal. <laughs> like, I mean, you it comes should down not
1: to that. do that. Don't put that on your mix I
0: tape. don't think that was Trent Reznor's intent for that song. <laughs> song for lovers by true romantic
1: mixtape song
0: <laughs> it's a perfect song to give to the people you love um I yeah so uh, the needle drops are hit or miss some of them are cool but they're not really if you're going to weaponize them weaponize them in ways that are going to be cool because okay so i'll give you a needle drop that i actually really enjoyed um not in this but in something else <laughs> So in in Star Trek Beyond, the third of the Star Trek reboot movies, which is probably the weakest one, but I enjoyed it because it was the most. It felt most like an original Star Trek movie. It felt like somebody's Star Trek script that they had written for a TV show years ago and never used, and then they kind of trotted Mm. out and turned it to feature length. But at the end of that movie, as as they're going into the final conflict, they call back to the the first of the reboot films by playing Beastie Boys' Sabotage as a, as a key moment in the plot where they need sound waves to do damage to the bad guy. And they play well, and, Sabotage. And That's, I mean, you're
1: a dad in your 40s, so that song is just going to be a trigger for you it's, anyway. It's <laughs> good, right? It's a
0: good song. And and that needle drop worked for me it in really, that movie, really even though it's it really it's completely wrong for Star Trek. Just as a as somebody trying to insert a song into a film and have it do something, at least it fit that bill. Yeah. So for, and I'll give you a one in this movie that doesn't work because it's also important. We find out that Dina is a band kid, um, which of course Mm -hmm. makes her a nerd, even though nothing else about her is remotely band kid. Um, But Mm -hmm. so as she, so they go to school, they go through their day, they find out that, the game that they're supposed to play against Sunnyvale has been canceled because of the murders. <laughs> and instead they're going to hold a candlelight vigil in Sunnyvale for all of the the murdered people. <laughs> and still they want everybody to dress up in the full like regalia and go to the vigil, which again would never happen. Never. They would hold a vigil, but they wouldn't make the band like put on their uniforms and go no. show up. Would never happen. But so, she she gets on the bus, and as she gets on the bus, nothing is happening. No one's talking to her. She is perturbed that she has to be there. She's upset that she has to be close to her peers. And what song is playing? Insane in the membrane. Mm. Why? Is is she insane in the membrane? Is everyone else insane in the membrane? Hey, hey, like
1: that song you like.
0: It's it's just a hey, here's a song from that era that you probably know. And I'm sure the the idea was to say how frustrated she is, because the the scene sort of ends with her like putting on her dumb band hat and pulling it down over her ears. So she doesn't have to put up with the you know frustrating conversations of her peers. But it's. If I'm trying to have a song that's expressing frustration about a character, I don't know why I would pick insane in the membrane what what does that do for the scene and the answer is not much
1: it was we paid for it we're using it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're gonna help those guys all buy a mercedes this year so so you know we're gonna use that song but then that song immediately ends
1: which they all really abruptly end
0: yeah they're all like 10 12 second spots
1: I mean, it's almost—it's almost like the the clips that you use in your YouTube videos. You know, they're just, right. just short enough so that you don't get that copyright violation.
0: <laughs> Maybe that was the point. Maybe that's it. Maybe Netflix has its own copyright algorithm, and they were trying to they avoid didn't triggering pay anything
1: it. for any of these songs.
0: But but then we get Radiohead's "Creep" playing yeah. over a montage of them traveling to Sunnyvale, and again, I love the song. It's a yeah, great song. Why, why there? And so it's, it's just, it's very, it's very scattershot. And I'm sure somebody sat down and, and like created a mixtape or a play, probably well, a Spotify playlist is what they created. They created a Spotify playlist or like, here are all of the the songs that establish the tone of our movie. And then they got all those cleared by lawyers and then they wrote the script and then they had to figure out where to put all the songs that got cleared by the lawyers. And they just sort of like, Oh, what's it. going on here? So our our other major characters, we have Dina, we have Josh, we have Kate, I guess, um who is a cheerleader slash prescription drug dealer. uh Which again, movie working very hard to make characters not likable. She,
1: awesome. um, you know, ironically, she was the one character that I liked. I just, like I hated her at first. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, oh she comes around. obnoxious, yeah. but. She grew on me so fast cuz she's funny. She does um, get
0: some good lines. Yes. I
1: absolutely. I love I love the sassy character in 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 any slasher film. I feel like that's just that's always welcome. Uh I I sort of wish that she had had a a redemption arc that was a little more satisfying. But I don't yes. know. I I liked yeah. that character. They tried really hard to make her unlikable and to uh I guess, you know, in true slasher fashion, of course, she's she's a drug dealer, so she's not going to make it.
0: Yeah, she's she, bad. Has, she has she is bad. Morals, she's a bad person.
1: Yeah. Um, um, but she was my favorite.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, of this group, I would say Josh and Kate are the two that that I had remotely any positive feelings for.
1: I'd watch a whole um, film series with those two. They're and, weird.
0: And the whole the whole Kate drug dealer thing really, I think, existed just to set up the ending. And then, and, you know, the how to get out of the problem that they're in, because she kind of enables that or is supposed to. And then we have uh, Simon played by the <sighs> woman in the window kid.
1: Uh, uh,
0: I don't even know his name. Hesher, Hesherling something doesn't matter. Um, he is awful in this. He's just a bad actor. Just, and he's uh,
1: and and may, I, you know, I don't, know. Uh, I don't I'm so he's never going to hear this. So I shouldn't really mind saying that he's a bad actor, but I just haven't liked him in a single thing that I've seen him in yet. Yeah, um, and I don't know if and it's he his makes fault. me uncomfortable. <laughs>
0: um, I think part of it is he was one of the asshole kids in eighth grade, and he was mean to that that really sweet girl in that movie, and so I just hate him. He's Here. like Prince. Oh. He's like my Prince Joffrey. I, I have. To. <laughs> um. He was the he was the annoying one at the food court. Okay. In that's in in that movie. Um, it's just and yeah, I don't just, know. I don't know. It's I just, I don't like him and that's fine. Like if people do <laughs> great. Uh, it's okay. I, I'm not angry about it. It's it's no big deal. But he plays Simon who I again, this movie has a, a a fake out and I don't know why they made it a fake out. I was actually kind of angry that they they did a fake out thing because Dina is upset about a breakup. But that's established early. She's trying to give the person stuff back. I don't want the stuff in my life anymore. I'm angry, I'm upset, bad, bad, bad. And so she gets to the the Sunnyvale you know, candlelight vigil or whatever and we see a guy groping a girl just like all up in her business. <laughs> intercut with Dina alone in an alleyway, you know, sob, you know, upset, angry, sobbing looking through the box of stuff. And then, you know, this person approaching and I'll admit, I thought it was a dude. I was like, well, these fear street stories had lots of, you know, relationships gone bad. And, and so I'm part of the problem, obviously.
1: And at least you admit it.
0: What's that?
1: At least you admit it. I admit
0: it. I'm part of the problem. I, I, I didn't even think twice about it. And then it's, it's the girl, right? It was the girl that was getting groped, not the guy doing the groping that she was in love with. and so. I, I don't know why the film felt the need to have this sort of, you know, fake out thing where the girl is with the guy now. Um, It could have just been a lesbian relationship. I, I guess the, the idea is, is that once she moved to Sunnyvale, it became about falling in line about being the girl um, that everyone expects her to be. So instead of being a lesbian, I, she would she would, you know, go with a dude instead.
1: I kind of. I don't know. I had a mixed reaction to this because I. I get it. Um, But I felt like it was a little. uh, How to say this. There was a lot of. uh, Harshness about her. Having a boyfriend. After having a girlfriend. Mm, and yeah. I felt like the characters were, were questioning whether she was, you know, truly invested in that relationship. And it feels, I, I don't want to use the word erasure, but it felt like it was a little dismissive of bisexuality a little bit. And I thought, including, you know, queer characters, it would have been a little bit less like that. But it that's how it struck me with that character, just how how it was treated that she was having a relationship with a, with a male character.
0: Right. Yeah. And that, you know, again, I, I the whole, the whole need for the fake out. I mean, it, and, and, and the setup, I understand it. We need to establish exactly why Dina feels so betrayed, but yes, yeah. it's, it's again, it, this feels manufactured to tick a box, not necessarily as, we really always thought of these characters as being LGBTQ and, yeah. and then we kind of like backed ourselves into this corner. And, and as a result, this, this central relationship, which becomes the, the core relationship of the story becomes about Dina and
1: um, I what's can't her remember. face, I can't. <laughs> Sam
0: Samantha. Again, I, part <laughs> yeah, of problem, I Samantha, can't even remember her I face uh, Her name. It becomes about their reconciliation and and sort of rediscovering their relationship in the midst of these trauma this this traumatic experience. And again, having this relationship at the center of it is good, and it's it's a good upending of of a very typical horror movie setup. But it doesn't necessarily feel super well handled. And again, these characters are so broad and so sort of badly sketched that it didn't do anything to make me care about them. Um, And and just in general felt a bit, again, soulless, like just we need this in here for the kids with a Z. And I would rather it be this than, you know, another typical girl slash jock. Horror story. This is much better than that, but I don't necessarily know if that gives it a pass for still writing a shitty relationship, which is still right. what this is. Um, and and that in and of itself is is kind of kind of weak. So the next major plot point is you know the kids, the shitty side kids, get the shit beat out of them at the candlelight vigil, which okay, <laughs> and they're on the bus and they're angry, and then it's, Sam, it's very
1: Riverdale, it's, you know,
0: yeah, it's then Sam and her boyfriend show up in his beamer. And they're like harassing the back of the bus. Throwing beer Which at just it
1: wouldn't happen.
0: Well, here's the thing. Somebody's got to be driving this bus. Yeah.
1: Who was driving the bus? <laughs>
0: and so they
1: get coaches to drive those. Right. I know.
0: Like these are these are like people who are trained to drive a bus. If, if you have a car behind you who's honking its horn and flashing its lights and throwing things at your bus, you're going to stop the bus. Yeah, that's what's going to happen.
1: You're also but, probably going to alert the police.
0: But this bus driver just keeps on a trucking and then like, the wow, kids it's really weird <laughs> to open the back door and throw something out of it. And so here's the thing about when you open the back door of a, of a bus, uh, an don't. alarm, an alarm sounds, <laughs> which they did have. An alarm does sound in the movie a little me, 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 but it's alarm that is so loud that everyone on the bus hears it, including the driver, <laughs> and and then again, the driver would stop the bus immediately, and so like, again, it's one of those things, like, they made the decision, there's going to be no adults in this that get taken seriously, but a lot of these things can't happen unless there are, there are, like, legitimate things going on around them.
1: And I understand the the desire to sort of protect the fantastic nature of YA horror um because a lot of goosebumps you know a lot of it was very this would never happen in the real world um yeah. fear street was no different um but at the same time obviously this this movie is not appealing to actual young young people.
0: No, so if adults no. are
1: the ones watching this, you have to also make it somewhat believable for adults. <laughs> like yeah. the adults in your audience have to believe these things could actually happen. And I just, I didn't believe this scene at all.
0: Yeah. It's, the,
1: the bus would have stopped. The police would have been called. Yeah. Someone would have seen other kids terrorizing this bus on the right. road.
0: Yeah. It's just, it, it strains credibility to the point that it, it, it becomes distracting. Right. Yes. And so the, the car that they're in crashes. Sam's in the car. So she's injured. As she crawls out, there's some peculiar red moss underneath the car. And when she touches red it with, with blood, I think with blood, uh, yes. something about blood. Uh, her nose she, is bleeding. Her nose is bleeding, which, which um, Dina's nose was bleeding as well. So there's a lot of nosebleeds in this movie, and they're very significant. How? That's witchy stuff. It's witchy nosebleed stuff. Which right. is stuff. <laughs> and and so she crawls out and she has a vision, right? There's a lot of visions in this of, you know, and your, your very typical weird colors, flashing lights, strange drawings, you know, just the non-district. Everything's the
1: same, things. but it's red.
0: <laughs> it's the stuff that in the, in the last movie, undoubtedly we'll get a scene that explains what all that stuff means and it'll have... Se- you know, real significance and everybody will go like it'll have really ah, bad
1: voiceover narration
0: <laughs> it's again this movie's handling of exposition is terrible and how they share information is is generally bad and that kind of stuff it, again i know it's very tropey it's very horror movie but it's just not great it's just not good it's and, not good to watch no and and so like this is the ostensibly this is the inciting event. This is how Sam gets drawn into this because her touching this moss is is what connects her to the witch in some way or draws Ooh. the ire of the witch. Ooh. I know it's very spooky. It's spooky. <laughs> and, and now, it, unfortunately, the movie just kind of slows way down. Oh, does it. Um and uh, we get more needle drops, many, many more needle drops. We get a white zombie needle drop which was one of the less which was egregious
1: wasted wasted, it's, wasted. it's
0: it's literally a kid mouthing the lyrics while he plays Castlevania Bloodlines.
1: Which like I yes, I did do that. <laughs> sure. But but I don't need to see that. I remember being the dork in the basement. I don't need to be reminded. <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's just not it's not very effective. Um so we've got to do a bit more character building in a movie that as much as it wants me to believe that it cares about these characters, I can't believe that it does because no. the things that were being shown about them, and it's it's just not interesting. Like nothing these no. kids do is interesting. and and that for me is is sad. And a movie that's about nostalgia. I mean, there's a reason, again, you mentioned Stranger Things earlier. Really. There's a reason why that works, because they're playing D&D, which was a very 80s thing to do. All right? what are the kids in this movie doing? Okay, playing, uh, well, it wouldn't have been PlayStation, so it must have been like MSX or something, uh, maybe <laughs> Sega. I don't, I don't even remember we if Pennsylvania Bloodlines... We were all still Blood playing Lines, our know.
1: Super Nintendos.
0: <laughs> That's and, all we had. <laughs> and so he's playing video games, fine. One kid's watching Jaws, I think. Or one of the Jaws movies, probably not one of the good ones. Uh and then we see uh Katie, she is uh getting her she's getting people to like stock her pill bottles for her. Like it's just they're not doing interesting things. And I, I don't I it's hard for it me to explain, but
1: it doesn't make me yearn for my youth. Uh,
0: right.
1: Stranger things every moment of at least the first two seasons. I'm still kind of iffy on the third season. Sure. Um, But at least the first two seasons of that show, every moment of them made me want to be that age again. Even the awkward parts, even the embarrassing parts, the cringy parts, it was designed to make me wish that I could be young again. This actually kind of made me glad that I'm not young. (laughs) It made me glad that I am an adult. It's like, wow, I don't have any of these concerns anymore.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. But so we get a you know some character building scenes and then the next set of of murdery stuff begins right so the the skull faced killer re re enters the scene um, even though he is ostensibly dead that's how how that that ended is he gets shot in the head but he's back in some way so the movie is sort of playing with us a little bit there and the 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 main thing that we discover is that these these creatures. And they are creatures, I suppose, are are after Sarah's uh, or Sam, excuse me, Sam's blood, which is on like the kid's shirt. It's on Dina's shoe.
1: Yeah, why is um, it all over everybody? What's that? Why is it all over everybody?
0: Um. Well, Sam had a, <laughs> had a very bloody nose. It was I mean? Did she just bloody.
1: shoot blood everywhere? Because like, how did it get all over his shirt like that?
0: Um, movies. Uh, movie, movie, <laughs> blood. Um, in movies, when you get a nosebleed, it splashes everywhere. It goes
1: everywhere.
0: everywhere. Um, I think she, maybe she sneezed. I, I really don't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but he's got blood splat. all over him, and doesn't feel compelled to change his shirt, which is no. probably the strangest component of this. It's like it's just a white like t-shirt, dude. Just throw it in the trash and wear something else. There are dozens of T-shirts all around you. Just put a different one on. Dina's wearing like three shirts. Just borrow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so they're trying to figure this out. And here I think is where the movie really falls apart is that. It's overarching narrative of what is going on and, and what is about to start stalking these characters is bad. The rules are strange and very badly explained. Characters know things when they shouldn't and don't know things when they should. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things about the Jamie Kennedy character in scream that works so well is that it's completely plausible that a high school aged kid obsessed with horror movies would have compiled this incredibly detailed list of what horror movie characters do.
1: I was right. friends totally with people who did that. I, I, I mean, we all knew a guy like that. Yeah, we all may have been a guy like that. Um, but these these characters, I, I had a lot of moments where I stopped the film and asked, "How did they know that? How mm-hmm. did they know to do that? How would they think to do that?"
0: Yeah. Um, none
1: of these kids are established as being genius inventors or. You know, it's not like they're data from the Goonies or something. So I just wonder how they they suddenly possess the knowledge and the skill to to enact their plans in the film. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: It really seems like they're the the whole internet thing and Josh is in a chat room that's obviously about things that go on in Shady Side. It seemed like they were gonna set him up as, you know, the the historian. Character, the guy who all knows he the did thing. was slam newspaper
1: but, down on tables. That's all he did.
0: Yeah, but he, he just d-
1: had an endless stack of newspaper articles <laughs> that he just kept slamming down on the table.
0: <laughs> Here's news article number seven. <laughs> um, it's it's just very strange, and that that part of it unfortunately gets worse in the next movie um mm-hmm. because these kids all have like an incredible knowledge of this witch and who she was and what she did. And uh, I mean, it's, it's perfectly understandable that they would have a certain degree of sort of like societal osmosis, right? We're just living in this town. You're going to hear those stories. That's fine. But, but it's more specific than that. And it's more granular than that. Like they know everything about this story, but then there are key things that they either don't realize or don't remember until the exact moment that they need to. Yeah. And that in and of itself is frustrating. Um, so the I, I guess we can go ahead and say it the the way that you escape this witch's curse that Sam is now under is you have to die. Right. She will hunt you, have you to pull until a you die. Yeah, it's it's the frighteners, basically. She'll hunt you until you're dead. And so at the end of this film, they kill Sam intentionally. Um, originally I think they're going to do it with Kate's pills but they don't have time for that so Dina just drowns her in a lobster tank but it took
1: it's sweet time with the pill thing (laughs) to make sure to waste all of our attention on that and then they just dumped them over
0: (sighs) yeah so it's but nobody made that connection until like five seconds before they do it Um, and and so like that kind of stuff for me is a bit frustrating because the mechanics of a world like this they kind of need to be decently established. They just need to be. And it's okay if there's mystery to it and they don't know and they've got to figure things out. I mean, we've talked about it before. Go to the library, look at the microfiche, it's fine. Do whatever.
1: I love that scene. I love the library research scene. Right.
0: And then you get to have a, a you get to have a zany librarian who can choose to be helpful and listen to them you know but again this movie is committed to having no adults in it at all so they're just kind of on their own um so our, our next major sequence they go to the hospital to see Sam to check on her and and figure out what's going on and of course they are assaulted by the the skeleton killer man guy who kills her boyfriend man
1: guy <laughs>
0: um, and then everybody else in the hospital including and again uh they call him, his name is, is Eddie on his name tag, but they put a B in front of it. And so his name is Betty. And he's wearing lipstick and eyeshadow and everybody sort of treats him a little bit oddly. So I, What I, was
1: that character?
0: I I guess I, mean, I know he's supposed that he was a- the,
1: the drug dealer's friend. Like I get that he was mm-hmm. the pill guy, but why, why spend so much time with this character's design? To have him in the movie for like forty seconds,
0: and then be just ruthlessly murdered. Yeah, um, I mean, stabbed just through gone. the face to death. Like, I, Why I, did you like
1: that guy? Oh well, fuck, him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he's dead now. They're all dead now.
1: And I mean, I guess, I guess, slasher movies did that, but at the same time, it just seems they didn't. I don't feel like slasher movies in the nineties or in the seventies or in the eighties. Overdeveloped characters and then killed them.
0: Sure, I mean, there's always the background, like the people who got in the way, right? That's that's fine. That's fairly typical. But this was just weird. It, it's just it doesn't strike that great balance. It's it's again, we need kills. People have to die. We don't just want to have characters appear as if from nowhere and then be killed. So we want to give them a little bit of something, <laughs> a little bit of juge. Um, so that you care about it or maybe care about it.
1: It's but more like a, this isn't what it looks like. This really. <laughs> this isn't
0: working like these these characters aren't doing anything for you. And if anything, it's more offensive because now this character who s- seems to be set up as being, um, again, transgender, um,
1: a little bit qu- a queer character. A queer like, there are character. a lot of queer leaning characters in this. And then we kill him. And
0: then you just straight murder him uh, for no reason. And it's great. Um. This, Thank you. <laughs> this film obviously has some political ideas that it wants to run through uh, because we get a very long sequence well, in this. That And
1: you know, it's funny you use that word because that's the problem is that <laughs> these are not political ideas. Why are we couching them as political ideas?
0: Well, there's a whole sequence in this where a black character is being set up by the police and he's done nothing yeah. wrong. Um, and like,
1: why, why was that in the movie? In the way that it was
0: again, it seems like the film is trying to say some, some things about representation about, I mean, this is a film that exists in the black lives matter era um, and was made in the, in the heightened political environment of that. So I think it's wanting,
1: but it's just, is this the right, I mean, is this the right. Are you saying the right things? Is this the right place for that? I don't know.
0: I mean, there's And I don't certain... feel like
1: I'm even equipped to even ask those questions, but it was just a weird moment in the movie and it was weird.
0: I think this is a this is a post get out horror film. And Get Out, one of the reasons why Get Out is fantastic is because it deftly blends horror premises or more twilight zone premises really than horror in my opinion, but and 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 a political idea right it's trying to to play those things together and it does so very deftly and very capably because jordan peele is is a deft and capable director and writer whereas this movie felt like well we want it to say things we want it to have ideas and so we're going to horn those in even though there's not really a reason for them to be here now i mean part of the reason I think is to establish that the police are not to be trusted, right? Like that, the character of, I feel like there's about a thousand
1: other ways to do that.
0: Well, yeah. Um, because I think where this is going, because like the good family name is all over Sunnyvale. Um, the good family Mm -hmm. plays a big role in the next film. I can go ahead and Mm -hmm. say that. I think this is going to be set up that the good family is the bad guys. Right. I <gasps> right the the witch Sarah Fear, she was good she was not a bad person and she was framed or something and as a result you know the goods are now in control of these towns but they're actually like really bad people and and I think this movie is wanting to sort of establish that by saying hey look at how bad these guys are and the bad things that they're doing um, and and perhaps the the framing of the black character was was meant to be that and that's that's fine but there are lots and lots of ways to get that done. And in this film, it's it's another just sort of like orphaned idea. right? It's a fine idea. It could certainly work, but it doesn't go anywhere. And maybe it's going to pay off in movie three, which we haven't seen yet. Maybe not. Um, I guess we'll have to find out. But in this movie, it, it doesn't necessarily work. But the cops in general are bad. Dina tries to tell them what's going on. They don't care, of course. And that's kind of the end of it. But she does steal some some keys from the cop, which are going to be useful later. Uh, it's like a video game, right? <laughs> I, I've got the yellow key. I can open the door now. It's the only way to move forward. Um, But because this is a, a slasher movie made in the 90s, we have to have a slasher action beat every every 8 to 10 pages and so we're introduced to another killer in this case, uh, Ruby lane, uh, who is another victim of Sarah Fears, who is, is also one of the slasher killers. So now we have skull face guy, uh, Ruby lane. Who's, who's like a young teenage girl. Um, And we've got one more who's
1: she kind of reminded me of the witch from Left for Dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the screamer or whatever. Uh, Definitely,
1: like the witch when she was rocking back and forth in the street. Mm -hmm. I don't know, that's the vibe I got.
0: Oh, definitely. And then you know this this empty street in this American town where there's literally nobody. Um, She's trying to kill Simon, and and he puts up a good fight, fortunately, uh, and is able to to mostly be okay. Um, But it's the fact that they keep getting discovered that um, leads them to understand the, the connection with the blood, I think. And also that these killers can't be stopped because Dina steals the cop's gun. That's what she steals. That's right. She steals the cop's gun and shoots her, but she just sort of gets back up and keeps coming. Uh, she also drops a locket, which the good guy cop finds later and and helps him know that, you know, stuff is happening again, you know, so on and so forth. And, and, you know, the movie just kind of flails around for a while here. They they don't really have much to do. They figure out that there's something about the moss that Sarah, uh, the moss that Sarah interacted with, that's probably important, and yeah, I get <laughs> probably important. Oh, probably important. It's
1: all very nebulous. Just yeah. kind of uh, you like, know, it's it's something.
0: Like the rules of this are just really really unclear. Um, they also steal an ambulance and don't seem to get into any trouble for it like they're apparently just driving it around town and nobody seems to care well
1: maybe <laughs> and, they would get in trouble if they had parents
0: yeah, maybe but
1: maybe there's no one watching these kids
0: <laughs> and uh we get introduced the the final killer that will be coming after them the final slasher archetype which is the jason archetype uh they they keep calling him um the nighthawk killer um and and I can Go ahead and say that the Nighthawk Killer is the focus of the the second film. And uh, he's, he's a guy in a flannel shirt with a bag on his head. With an axe. So, there you go.
1: Ah. I
0: bet you know who that's from.
1: Oh, scary.
0: But then the movie just kind of devolves into them, you know, doing the whole, we're going to trap the killers, we're going to kill the killers, and that'll make us safe. Which... They've already. I had that issue. was
1: one spot where it was like they knew everything. And how did they know everything? Yeah. How did they know what to do? How? But yet, I mean, it was it was more of Kevin McAllister almost. Yes. Like, it's how very did you how do you know? Uh
0: <laughs> and, and the other issue is, is that Sam has already seen that you can shoot these things in the face and they just keep coming. Yes, but yet they somehow believe that burning them will kill them for reals, for goods. And and that was just like the entire sequence I was watching. And that that was the point, like I, at this point in the movie, I was like engaged, but a little bored like here, this is the point in the film where I was like, I'm going to check Twitter real quick, and see what's going on. Oh, not a lot. And because like I knew that nothing is going to come of this, literally nothing because the movie has already established for me, the viewer that these things are unkillable, right? They can't be killed. Like Ryan got shot in the head. His mask comes off in the hospital. He has a hole in his head.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Why will burning him kill him? If he can recover from being shot in the head. So like this seemed like an idea that, they thought would be visually interesting cuz they're they're like they're like painting maps to her with her blown blood. They 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 have Sam like cut herself and then bleed into a mop bucket and then they just trace bloody mop water all throughout the school to her. Which I mean bravo for staging, right? Like great, but you've already Establish that these characters can smell a single drop of blood on a shoe and hunt you down. Yeah. So why go to all this trouble? Just slice her hand, slap a little bit on the door. They'll be there in, you know, two shakes of a lamb's tail. Like this, all of these mechanics, all of this architecture, while very interesting and fun to watch as they're, you know, spreading their friend's blood all over their high school.
1: Wasting my time.
0: It's it's just a waste of time. This 15 minutes means absolutely nothing for the progression of the story other than to, I guess, more clearly establish that these things can't be killed. Um, And I I do not understand why they spent this much time on it other than to have another sort of action scene where, you know, stuff gets to happen. And there's a lot of visual jokes. Like there's uh, all the posters that are behind the characters. There's one that's like, you know, you know, like that standard drug poster, respect yourself, protect yourself. You know, it's like all the condom stuff in the nineties. And there's one of the scenes where they're getting ready to set them on fire. And they're like, Hey, this is a no gun zone. You know, it's just like you could tell somebody was like, Oh, this will be fun. But the whole scene is just a waste of our time. Like other interesting things could be happening. And and it just ends up being like a, a, a really bad sort of middle act of a Scooby-Doo episode yeah. where, you know, nothing really happens and everybody's just kind of running around thinking what they're doing is important. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it's not uh, at all. And so then, again, the monsters all reform and they all run away and they go back to Dina's house where they try to figure out what's going on and we and we've just done this. We've done this several times now. And it, I I don't know. This is this is where the film really kind of like lost me. Um and I was like, okay, if you're not if you're not going to do anything else interesting with these ideas, I'm kind of finished. And they do um is this where they contact C Berman? Is that where that happens the first time?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes,
0: I think so. Yes. So they make they they figure out from something, I, I don't remember what, and I, it's fine, it doesn't matter, but that there was a, a survivor of a previous massacre named C Berman, and maybe she has some kind of clue or understanding of how to uh to do this. And that's when Sam finds a important newspaper clipping, which says that C Berman died for a short period of time. And that's what sets the seed for how they can escape is that Sam needs to die. As we said earlier. So the final sequence of the film takes place. uh, They go to the supermarket. Um, I was racking my brain trying to figure out if there were other slasher movies that ended in supermarkets. And I can't think of any off the top of my head. I know the Fog, or at least the remake of the fog, had a scene mm. in a in a yes. supermarket. Of course, we yeah, got it the did. mist. It takes place in a supermarket, although that's not a slasher film. I mean, it's it's a good place for a showdown, I guess, because there's a lot of equipment. There's less stuff. Um, there's also, you know, like garden tools, potentially things like that. But what did you think of this final setup? Because basically, after the school, they go to the supermarket. They've got the plan to kill Sam, so they go to the pharmacy. And they're getting all the drugs that they're going to need to to kill her, but safely, quote unquote. Like I don't know how exactly you can kill somebody safely, but Simon's really thought about it a lot because he had a, a brother who you know OD'd. And he remembers the exact stuff he OD'd on or something. Again, very loose.
1: Some nonsense.
0: Yeah, like I I don't I don't think OD's work when you measure out the pills. <laughs> I don't think that's how OD's go. I
1: mean, it just oh. I don't know. I don't know. I I liked, I liked the set. I just, I don't feel like, um, I think a supermarket could be a really interesting place for horror to play out. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen that happen with some horror movies, but maybe not done really well, unless I'm not thinking of an obvious example, which is possible. Sure. Um, well, I mean, supermarkets have been in horror movies, but the point is, this wasn't flatteringly filmed.
0: Uh no, no. This isn't I feel like, like awesome the
1: one. size. I feel like the size of the hallways was pretty flexible. You know, the aisles themselves kind of changed depending on what needed to happen for the scene. Yeah. Um, I didn't really ever get a sense of how big it was, especially with some of the audio cues from different parts, where it felt like things were happening four miles away, and people were actually just on the other side of the store. So. <laughs> I don't feel like I really ever knew how big it was. Um, and those are just things that bother me personally, because I am looking at, you know, how a scene is, you know, how a set is supposed to look and how it's supposed to function. And I don't know, I kind of got lost wondering, what does this grocery store even look like?
0: <laughs> yeah, we'd never get the benefit. It would have been better if an earlier scene, and, and maybe there was one now that I think about it, but we should have really had some earlier establishing of this. Um, maybe a character working there or, or something so that we could know that this place existed um, in the, in the light, you know, see it, you know, fully in its, its splendor before it gets spattered in blood. But the, the really, you know, sort of strange thing for me with this whole sequence, you mentioned the, the distance, right? A, all the characters split up again for no reason. If, cause if this is really about killing Sam, if killing Sam will end the witch's curse and save them all, which is the premise that all of this is being enacted upon, right? Am I wrong in that? Like, I'm pretty sure that that's the setup. We kill Sam. Yeah. Everything goes back to normal. We'll all survive. Even though these monsters have had zero problem killing other people, they've been after Sam. But if anyone's in their way, they'll just kill them too. And so the idea that they would just relentlessly stop, the moment that she's dead is is strange. I don't really feel like that works. But and
1: how do they know that?
0: I, they don't. You know? I mean, I don't know how they could. Um, but so they give her the drugs. It. They make a big deal about the timing of them being important, and that if they mess up the timing, then it won't work. And, and I, I guess that happens because she I she think doesn't. They
1: have a lot of other problems if they mess up the any part of this. Right. I mean, it's not. There's no part of this that's going to go well, I don't think.
0: <laughs> and But they all split up. They go off into their different corners. They've got, they're like collecting things. Again, I don't understand exactly what they're trying to accomplish instead of just, just kill Sam, just just kill her and get it over with if that's what's going to save you all. But of course, that wouldn't give us the opportunity for all of the killers to reappear and to begin assaulting them. And And, you know, we get those those fun moments and my my biggest beef with this sequence is that up until this point these characters have been relatively untouchable and then as happens in most horror films it the film has now decided that it's time for these people to die yeah like it's it's just you've had
1: enough time (laughs) it's just time now
0: right you've been fine and you've been very smart and evasive and capable of surviving uh but but now no more Right, and so you know, Kate gets a, a a little moment. She's got some hairspray with flame, and and she takes care of the, the the skeleton kid. Um, and and we get our our two sort of last big our two last big kills. Um, the drugs aren't working fast enough, so Sam, uh, Dina, excuse me, gets the idea to drown Sam in the lobster tank.
1: I don't know why it took that
0: long. I don't know. Like you could just, there are lots of ways to kill a human without doing like physical tissue damage. Drugs are not necessarily the most efficient, Um, but yeah. So she gets the idea to drown her, which is, you know, it's not awesome. It's not a great, I mean, they've worked to try and establish that Sam and and Dina care about each other. So it's not a great way to go, but, but so Kate gets into her final confrontation with the, uh, the, uh, the, the skull face kid killer, And she's again proves remarkably ingenious at surviving. Like she's a cupcake pan to block the knife at one point. You know, like she's a character that in this moment I'm like, okay, she's smart enough, inventive enough that she's gonna make it out of this, right? Um, But then the movie decides, oh no, 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 she's she's good and dead. (laughs) And so the in the I guess we can call it the signature kill of the film. uh, Her head. Is run through a bread slicer.
1: That was ridiculous.
0: And I mean, I'm I, I've never worked at like a Panera bread or anything, but I I don't think that's what bread slicers look like. Um,
1: Maybe a bagel slicer.
0: <laughs> hey, that's the sequel, bagel slicer. Um, mm-hmm. And no, I mean, I, I'm sure they do. I, I'm not quite sure how it got turned on. She kind of bumps it, and then that turns it on. I guess. Um, but her head gets shoved through the bread slicer and, and, and sliced. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's a moment. Um, it's, it's one of the goriest things and they show the aftermath, which again, is one thing I'm, I, I appreciate about this film. They, they show the aftermath of these kills, but I think a great kill is earned in a horror film. I think it should feel. It should feel like something that is inevitable, but at the same time, I don't know, it's hard to explain. like nothing in this movie, even though that is, is a kill I've never seen before, there's nothing that feels iconic, right? There's nothing like Jason like beating a woman to well, death inside a sleeping bag For me, it trunk, was tree trunk, you know just not. for me
1: it was um it, I have a sometimes this works for me in movies, and sometimes it doesn't. I think it just depends on the application, and this didn't work for me. And that is when a kill is unceremonious, right? And yeah. she dies, and then the movie just sort of goes on, continues immediately, yeah. immediately. Well, let's let's. I mean, no pause. I mean,
0: Lil Peanut does take a moment to look at her because it's established pretty early on that Lil Peanut has a thing for Kate. Like he's yes, he is but he into is
1: her. he is the fat nerd. Um, And here's a little bit of my rage coming out. He is the fat nerd, and so he will never find love.
0: No, especially not with the hot drug-dealing cheerleader.
1: No one loves nerds. Did you think that you were loved? You were not. Yeah. Uh, And movies are here to remind you of that every day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is how it works, kids. Um, But again, in this mythology that is so nebulous as to be basically not understandable, Sam dies, and then all of the monsters disincorporate they just disappear um even though they've been shown to be physical actual things that exist in the world the moment that sam is dead they just stop and i don't understand i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) um like I'd understand. I mean, they didn't just melt or anything, because like we cut back to little Peanut, and he's just kind of like, "Whoa, where'd the guy who was literally about to kill me go?" That's so strange. And so I'm like, "Okay, well, what happened then? Did they evaporate? Did they sink into the earth? Did they get pulled up into the sky by a UFO? Like, where did they go?" And and it's just dropped, as as with so many of the big moments in this film, it's just unceremoniously passed over. And the characters never mention it again. Um, because then, of course, the focus is on bringing Sam back to life. And so to do this, they try to Tarantino it. They try to Pulp Fiction it. They inject her boobs with so much epinephrine, even though that's just not what epinephrine and over and over. does like, at all. <laughs> and injecting it into her, her breasts is not going to get it to her heart at all.
1: I mean, just to... Mm. One of my favorite <laughs> scenes know. ever is uh, is I uh, mean, you know, I got a stabber in the fucking chest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all I ever think of whenever anyone's trying to be revived is, is Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, no, this was kind of this was dumb. Yeah, it's just dumb. it's kind
0: of lame. And they bring her back, I guess you know, because it's a it's a movie and it has to. Uh, I did love that she when she spits up, I mean, because they obviously did the whole like lay here and you've got all the shit in your mouth and you're going to spit it up when you wake when for your wake up scene. And she, I don't know if they just shot it once and decided to do it. But when she spits it up, it just straight goes all over her face, just in her eyes and everything. <laughs> and then in the next scene, you can tell they, you they took it all out so that she wouldn't actually have all this like gross <laughs> shit in her eyes. It's like, just refilm it and have her not it spit awful. it up in her face. But whatever. Um, so you know she's back. Everything's okay. Everything's finally okay. You know we get the nice. Uh, you know our horror movie is over. Everything's fine. We beat the curse. We found the loophole. We burned the body. I mean, it's it's the ring. It's, it's everything that horror mm-hmm. movies always do.
1: And I don't hate that. It's fine. I don't hate that. It's
0: fine. It's that's.
1: I I like it when it's done well. In the case of something like The Ring.
0: Yeah. We burned Samara's body. Everything's going to be fine now. Uh, But of course it's not. So they meet with the cops. They invent a story about going to pick up a prescription and then the, the grocery store locking down or something. And then uh, everything gets blamed on Kate and Simon. That's, that's where the cops are going to go. And the one cop, you know, the good cop, he's trying to tell them like, Hey, you know, is this how you want your friends to be remembered? And they're like, no, but they're dead. So it's fine, I guess.
1: You know, which I, actually I really kind of liked, liked that the choice. honesty. Yeah, I, I liked, liked the that honesty. A lot. I was like, yeah,
0: they're dead. So who the fuck cares? Yeah, let them put it in the newspaper that they're the ones who did it because they're dead. It's not going to affect them, but it will affect us.
1: Probably what they would have wanted.
0: <laughs> so I, I, I really enjoyed that choice. I was like, yes, that's smart. That's that's a good, you know, kind of way to deal with it. But this all leads to the inevitable reveal that it is, in fact, of course, not over. And. I don't I don't know how you felt about this. But uh, Dina and Sam reconnect at the hospital or at the at the police station, I guess. And Sam's like, I'll see you tonight. And so they come over. She comes over to Dina's house and, and they're hanging out, listening to music enjoying the sucking of face and then um the the danger reemerges because c berman who they had called before calls back which they were not expecting and she in a cryptic phone conversation says you're still alive that's good but this is not over and you cannot stop her her being the witch she writes the rules she makes the game and then we get a bunch more interspersed scenes of somebody casting a spell in a pointy hat don't know who that is (laughs) Um, again this is where the mythology of the overarching story is just like uh what why are we doing this what is the point of this do we have to do this but there's yes we do there's a there's a master satanist in a room (laughs) (laughs) And that master Satanist is casting spells. And Sam's name gets written on uh some stone tablets or something in a room with a single lit candle in it. And it's a, a list that has all of the killers names, all the ones that have been chasing them. And now Sam's name is on it. And now Sam is a killer.
1: <laughs>
0: and so in this movie's just really obscure mythology. So Sam was going to be a a victim before because her blood touched the moss, which uh. may or may not be where the witch's body is. I, I think that's, Sounds good. that's the idea. So her blood touches the witch's body, and now the witch wants to kill her because of the blood touching. <laughs> I don't know. She really took offense at that that didn't work. Right. So she got out of the curse. She found the loophole. She died. So now we're going to turn her into a killer, just like the other ones. Because her, uh, is she is the witch Shang Tsung. Your soul is mine. Right. Is, is that oh God, I wish. where we are oh, with this? Oh, this would be
1: so cool. <laughs> Your soul is mine. This would be my new favorite movies. Um, my
0: favorite movie. But I think a lot of this is um, is set up stupid. Well, yes, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> it's stupid set up for stuff that we're going to understand much, much later. I, I, we don't fully understand it by the end of the second movie. I, I can say that. But the third movie, which is, is not as of yet out, maybe that that's what's going to really go into that. So there may be like a living mastermind that's still doing all this stuff. But if that's the case, we don't we don't know who that is yet. Um, and you know, also the person we're the not sure we care I don't know but that's the thing I- this movie because it's connected to these other two movies it is inherently weak because it it can't stand alone and that is part of my issue with it is that there will probably never be a point at which I feel like I want I say the words I want to watch fear street 94 Because watching Fear Street 94 is not going to be satisfying as a movie-going experience because it is not by itself. And series, even series that are released a week apart, in my humble internet man opinion, Mm -hmm. should work alone and independently of each other, right? They should be good standalone things.
1: That's the magic of the slasher films from, you know, the 80s and 90s like the 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 Freddy movies. Uh, they stood by themselves. You know, they were stupid. I don't love those movies. No. I'm not championing Again, there's like 3 of them Freddy that are garbage. <laughs> but they did stand on their own.
0: Yeah, you can watch each one. Well, I, and I'm the and perfect example the of this. The first Freddy movie I saw was 3. I, I, never, I didn't see the original Nightmare on Elm Street until much later. And I don't know why. Uh, I don't even know if we had a copy of the original. We had two and we had three and we had like five, um, which just was nonsensical. But, but you didn't need them, right? You could watch three and still completely understand three and, and be fine with it. Um, you know, it's guy in your dreams attacking you. Go. Right. Like it's, it's, it's not a complicated premise. So, but yeah, I mean, like the Jason movies are basically the same. There's an overarching narrative, but each one kind of works on its own. Um, And this movie, I'm not going to say it complete, it completely doesn't work on its own. It certainly kind of has a beginning a middle and end, but it, it literally ends with to be continued. And while that's fine, and that's part of the way that these were structured and designed. So cool. That's not something that I find satisfying. I'm not cool with it being like, oh, well, I just don't have to finish this story.
1: It seems like it was designed to immediately play the next film in your queue. Yeah. Netflix.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's why Netflix was interested in it. I don't think if this was just one movie that Netflix would have cared. Like, but the fact that it's three that can be dribbled out over the course of a week to build, you know, to to build interest is certainly going to be something Netflix is on board with. But I mean, so this movie is, is, is thoroughly okay. It may be the, the okayest film that we've talked about. Um, The characters are okay. The kills are okay. The acting is okay. It's, it's just okay. And, and that is both good and bad, right? It's good that it's not offensive or upsetting in any way. But that's also bad because that makes it not very memorable. right. Like, what are you going to hang on to from this movie? The girl who got her head sliced by the bread machine. All right. That's cool.
1: I'm going to hang on to that in, in that anytime anyone brings up this movie, if they ever do, (laughs) I'll think of that. Yeah.
0: Like yeah, that. that girl may be the only thing I think of. And and so yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I don't know. I, I'm I, I'm struggling because I did not hate this. I was not angered by it. I was not frustrated by it. I was a little bored, but I was mostly engaged. A little bored. Um, i oh, hungry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the <laughs> characters were fine. Um, I, I liked the central relationship between Dina and Sam once it finally kind of felt like it was going somewhere. But, but the film never really seemed that interested in making me care about their relationship. Like, it's sweet, but it still seems just like a sort of shitty high well, school it, relationship. You it know?
1: doesn't... Again, the magic of Stranger Things was that it made me... Wish that I were that age again, including livening up what being in love when you're an eighth grader was like. Mm -hmm. This could have used a bit of that with their relationship, like, you know, make it a little bit more interesting than an actual high school relationship. This felt very much like an actual high school couple whose, whose problems I don't care about
0: yeah I don't care. and at all and and the film I, I mean I it cannot be overstated that the film really struggles at getting its third act together at, at getting all of the pieces into position for what it hopes is a sort of final culminating moment and and then it just summarily murders two characters that we've spent 70 minutes being told that this character matters and then they are just dispensed with and no other characters really mention it. And the only send off they get is a little peanut sitting at his AOL <laughs> chat room, telling somebody that thought they were the bad guys that no, they were actually really nice. He was really sweet.
1: Even, even though I was totally chill about <laughs> blaming them for all of this, yeah, even though I
0: just literally just told the cops that they should be the ones to go down for this. I'll tell people on the internet chat room that that's not true, but all of the other sources I mean, that, of I, news will.
1: And again, that's that's totally something that, that is realistic, that that would absolutely happen in the case of a witch's curse. Mm-hmm. I think the teenagers would sell each other just out. Just throw them um, right
0: under the bus. The same bus that that driver is, refused to stop early.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're just being asked to suspend our disbelief in new and interesting ways here. Totally.
0: I mean, and, and you know, this is 1994. Are you telling me that that hospital didn't have security cameras? Like not a one. No, I just not even at People the entrance. People didn't even have
1: cell phones back then. Life was so desolate. That's right. Peak. I don't know how just, we didn't all just jump off a bridge. It
0: was just empty. We all just drove around. We were all hoping that teenagers
1: would make us crash our bus. So
0: I uh, wanted that bus. Crash. I I think next week we'll we'll go ahead and talk about um, part two because I, I think part two does a better job of emulating its genre, right? Cause it's set in 1978. So it is very much in the mold of the, the Friday the 13th and, and Halloween slashers. Um, and it's, it's very comfortable in that mold. There are things about it that are weaker, but I think some of the character work is better because we basically get a reset. What our 1994 characters are now going to become is the frame story for the, for the, the past narrative. Right. They're going to be the people in in 1994 who are trying to solve their problem. But we're going to, in essence, flash back to 78 to get more details about what's going on. And some things do get explained. The the red moss stuff, sort of what that is and where that comes into play. What happened to bring Sam into the ire of this witch. You know, bleeding on this ground, made her mad or something. and so, like it tries to do more explanation about it, but I think that it it does a better job of emulating the genre that it's trying to emulate, which is the seventies slasher you know classic slasher horror um horror film
1: but it's a it's a slightly easier movie to make though, because i I think those were even simpler stories
0: oh yeah, for sure and and this one i mean is very simple like it's it's real straightforward. Um, the the writing is on the wall, literally on the stone wall with the witch with the pointy hat immediately. And it it just goes. Oh, good. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) The part of the film that we loved the most becomes the focus. Um, Good. Again, that's 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 sort of where I'm at with this is is it's thoroughly. Inoffensive, like it's just that's what it is like, it's it's inoffensive and safe, kind of sanitized and and really happy to be getting the chance to do this. Right. It's almost like you can feel Alayshaniak being like, I, I I get to make this and I'm really excited about it here. Let, here, feel my excitement because I'm making a thing that I wanted to make. And that's great. I mean, as a filmmaker, that's what you want. But in, in this genre, I don't know if it's enough and the self-referential nature of it is not helping at all. It's like, it's, it's just not.
1: It was just too much for me. I'm, you know, I'm very bothered when I feel, I even sniff that something is trying to, to sell something to me <laughs> or market something to me. And the stink of it was just all over Where this movie. Where are your
0: heartstrings? Let me pull them. I can find them. Uh, Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty blatant. And, and that, that is, is something that I think people our age, people who like horror films are both often receptive of, but yet very wary of at the same time, because I'll let you do it if I feel like it's in service of something and it's going to take me somewhere, or it's going to recreate a feeling that I haven't felt in a long time. Right? Like you mentioned stranger things several times. And I think that that is an appropriate one to mention stranger things found that mixture of that early 1980s sort of family film with an edge that Steven Spielberg was so capable of producing at that time period. That that it it was it worked with that and it was successful at it, but this one is trying to do the same thing with a genre that doesn't engender that kind of nostalgic love, at least not for most people. Like I, I know some people who are big horror fans who would probably really enjoy this because it's making them remember. Oh, this is like that scene in this movie that I love, and and so on. And but
1: so. again, but. I do not like it when movies make me wish I was watching another movie. I have been clear about that. <laughs> That's true. from yeah, the very start, I never, hate that. You've <laughs> never
0: pulled any punches about that. And the moment, and you're right. The moment a movie makes you think of a better movie, it's kind of lost. It's it's failed at its. You lost. Job, you know. And and again, this is more than just homage, right? I've heard that word tossed around a lot with all of these movies released so far, and I imagine that'll continue with the last one. It's like, oh, it's a delicious homage to these films, and I'm like. No, an, an homage is sort of loving recreation. This isn't that. This is very calculated. Right? This is this is a a a specifically designed piece of entertainment that is pulling very very specifically from things that people know. And and not in a way that's like, oh, I just love this. Right. Like I fell in love. Again, I keep thinking about Tarantino with this movie because this is what Tarantino does. But that Tarantino does so well. That no one cares. Right. Like we've all seen the YouTube videos where people break down Pulp Fiction and say like, oh, this shot is this shot. This shot's from this movie. This movie's from this sh-. like that where they break down scene by scene where Tarantino just blatantly ripped off some other filmmaker. Right. And and you can do that and you can be like, ha ha, I got you, Tarantino. I see you're just a you're a worthless video store hack. You never should have gotten this because that's mostly what those videos devolve into is them saying like, mm. Tarantino doesn't deserve the praise he gets. But the thing that Tarantino does is he takes all of those things and he reuses them and repurposes them in service of something original and fresh and exciting and thrilling in its own way. And so much so that you don't care. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care that the trunk shot is an exact ripoff of a trunk shot from this movie. Right. Like, who cares? Because in this movie, it's awesome. This movie is all of that. (laughs) Without the, I don't care part. I watch this and I go like, but I do care because that scene is the scene from scream and it was better in scream.
1: Well, because it just, again, you know, pandering, it just feels, it feels very fake. It feels like it is working very hard to, to win the affections of some person who is very, very in love with the nineties and I, I get that a lot of people are right now, but I just, I don't think, I don't think they're in love with it in this way. Maybe they are. I'm not.
0: Yeah. I mean, I certainly have nostalgia for the nineties and that was kind of the formative years of my life. Like the, the needle drops in this movie are like the needle drops of the nineties for me. Like they are the music that I listened to when I was like 14, 15. So, I mean, I get that, but
1: I need a little bit more than they that.
0: They don't congeal together in this to do anything for me though. Like they're just there for me to recognize. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's quite literally like the the member berries thing from South Park. Member radiohead? Member Nirvana? Right? It's like it's <laughs> just that. And it's not in service of anything. It's not amplifying or accentuating anything. It's just this is a thing from the nineties that we know. And if it influenced the tone of their film and helped them establish, you know, visual ideas and tonal ideas, then great. You know, that's awesome. I mean, Heart Shaped Box is a great song and listening to it probably would evoke all kinds of interesting visuals. But just laying it over a scene of a girl on a bus doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah, right? like it's not mean really anything. You know, it's it's not like a because I'll admit, you know, i I you know, there's Nirvana needle drops in there. Heart-shaped box is not one of them. It should have been because um, there's all kinds of stuff in here that would work for that. But I've always like envisioned that slow-mo shot walking down the hallway to the opening strains of Heart-shaped box, right? Like, and, and showing a character who is struggling, who is is trying to steal themselves for what's next, right? Like to that song. Like, I think you could do something interesting for that. And, and this movie doesn't do anything like that with these needle drops. It doesn't do anything like that with its nostalgia. It's just nostalgia that's here because we know that people expect to see these things. And, and that makes it ring hollow. Like I said, it's a movie that has all of the beauty of a slasher film, but none of the soul that's required to make it a classic, in my opinion. Perfectly serviceable, well put together, but there's no beating heart in this movie that makes me love it. And that is a shame because I think this could have been something that would have gone that direction for me, but it doesn't quite get there. And maybe it's the lack of character work. I certainly think that's probably where I would have started if I was trying to improve this script is just make the characters work better, either hold off on the introduction of all of the the spooky supernatural stuff until the characters were better established. Uh, you know, maybe that, or, or maybe just more time with them being regular kids where they aren't just spouting, obviously, you know, sort of fake teenage kid dialogue. I I don't know. All those pieces just don't really fit and and you can feel it within us relatively quickly. At least I did. Uh, All right. So let's, let's wrap up. I I think what we're going to do with these, uh, if you're down, if you lose interest and you don't want to finish the series, I completely understand. But I think what we should do,
1: I'm in it now. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You're in the shit now, man. You ain't getting out. I think we should watch the rest of them. Um, We'll maybe talk about part two next week. Just maybe do a brief episode. Then the the final episode, and then we'll kind of reserve our, our overall judgments for like when it's all done. Right. We'll say, we'll treat it as they want us to treat it as one big thing. And then when it's all finished and we know the full story of the weird Mm -hmm. witch in the cave, the witches' curse. We'll we'll deliver our final judgments on the Fear Street phenomenon of July twenty
1: twenty one. I'm down. Let's
0: do it. All right, we're deciding things about the podcast right here, live on the podcast. That's <laughs> exciting. <laughs>
1: this, we're being reckless. This is
0: how internet podcasts work, baby. We just figure it out as we go. Um, but I, I like I said, I it says something that I'm interested in enough. In this to see where it goes. And the second one, again, it's kind of leaves me in the same spot. I'm interested enough to see where it goes. Um, and and you know, I think it's it's worth kind of seeing because honestly, there has not been a lot going on in horror here lately.
1: Not anything that's not just a conjuring knockoff.
0: Yeah. I mean, we we get lots of those. Lots of those. Are you interested in the nun part four? none harder oh um, yeah i mean everybody's down for that right god did you <laughs> i watched that standalone nun movie that thing is a piece of hot I... street trash that is a guzzle of dumpster water on a summer afternoon i tweeted so
1: much during that
0: movie Ugh. i
1: found things on twitter that <laughs> that no one's ever seen i, I was so
0: bored some twitter <laughs>
1: I found the end of the internet thanks to the nun.
0: And then like uh, The Curse of La Llorona. I have tried to watch that movie five times. Five. And it's not that I, and I just keep falling asleep. I make it like to the same part. I think it's a part where Linda Cardellini is like she's running to a car. I don't remember why, but she's running to a car and she's scared. And I immediately fall asleep at that part. It's almost like I could just play that movie when I'm trying to go to sleep. And I know that by the time it gets to that part, I'll be asleep. Um, it's just so boring. I, I, it's, unex- it's inexplicable that a film marketed as a horror film would be that boring. Just terrifying. Um, yeah, they're so bad. So, I mean, like, I'm excited that w- we've got somebody who's trying to do slasher. Like really, so, I mean, they're not like, you know, I mean, I know like there's Shutter originals who still doing stuff, but I don't, I don't watch I all guess. those. I mean, like, come on. Um, I don't have time. <laughs> I, like, uh, no, I mean, but this is like, you know, decently budgeted, fun teenage slasher stuff. And so I'm curious to see where it goes. Honestly, the last one is set in 1666. So I kind of know what that's going to be. And that does not seem exciting
1: witches
0: but uh, what's
1: the matter you don't like witches
0: <laughs> i mean i love a big white collar like anybody else maybe a buckle or two but uh yeah whether or not i want to watch a whole movie of that we'll see mm. uh i watched it it was called the crucible it sucked <laughs> it
1: was boring it was boring based on a book uh, i don't want to do anything with books and movies
0: <laughs> I, I mean no I, the Crucible is a-
1: oh, I revel in pretending I am I know
0: dead. right movies are bad books are worse oh <laughs> I'm not really pretending oh <laughs> uh, yeah I don't I don't know uh, I'm curious to see where it goes and and that's the best I can say at this point but all right so that is that's our, our thoughts our rundown our kind of meandering stroll through the uh the the manufactured pastiche that is fear street part one colon 1994 and uh, we have
1: some feelings, but we don't know what they are yet. <laughs> That's
0: right. We're we're still developing our feelings. Our feelings are still growing, much like the relationship between Dina and Sam. Our, our feelings are still developing, and it'll involve we need to share some mixtapes back and forth. Um, we need to uh, listen to the Melvins uh, or have a Melvins sticker on our wall while never actually needle dropping the Melvins in our movie. You know, that kind Not of thing. Not even sure
1: what band you're talking about. I don't even know who that
0: Melvins. is. Melvins. Who would be in a bad code? The, the t-shirt that
1: says that. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I I, I, mm, I don't know. I, I think we'll reserve a bit of judgment and um, and, and sort of see where where this winds up. But uh, we'll call me curious at this point and uh, and then we'll we'll, we'll kind of see where things go from there because it's probably going to go downhill. Uh, yeah, but
1: I'm I'm willing to see I'm willing to witness how it goes downhill.
0: I am willing to witness definitely. Oh, watched Mad Max: Fury Road with the fam the other day. That movie, that movie is really good. That movie has weaponized nostalgia, but it knows what it's doing with it, and that's uh, whew,
1: man, that's a good movie. It's it's George Miller making people nostalgic for his movies. for
0: his own films. <laughs>
1: it's, it's like you remember the movies I made that you loved. Well, here they are. Here they
0: are again, all of them. <laughs> I don't care about the story that I established. Mad Max's daughter is now like twelve when she dies, and she can talk. Doesn't matter. There are people and characters that appear from his past that you've never seen before. It doesn't matter. It's just doesn't Mad Max. Matter. You get it, right? You get it. It's it's even a different guy, but you get it anyway. Yeah, that's a good movie. That's a real good flick. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, 1994. Yeah, it's it's on Netflix. Give it a shot. It costs you. Everything's on Netflix. Just go, go watch it. It's good. Um, I will say it, it is shot well. I like the lighting a lot. They do a lot of like really low key, like inside lighting, which I like. Um, and, uh, and, you know, there's some good colors, like the opening sequence, the, the scream knockoff sequence is really good. And then the, the supermarket mm-hmm. has some good stuff in it too. Although I definitely agree with you that the geography of those sequences is, is pretty suspect. Uh, but in any case, um, we're going to wrap this episode up and uh, we will be back hopefully next week to talk about uh, Fear Street Part 2 1978, an homage to the classic slasher films of the 70s and 80s. Oh. And uh, oh. we'll be back to talk about it then. Have a great week. We'll See you soon. Bye
1: bye.